contract campaign, there's going to be a settlement eventually. Um, but this is a, this is a movement. We felt like that it was like this giant team building exercise for our own members, site by site and district wide. And in addition to the community, um, and you, you really saw, um, you know, a lot of support. We even had city council um, members and county supervisors who hadn't really um, been involved. They actually joined our bargaining team and so, sat with us for hours and hours and hours. Um, and um, so, uh, to kind of summarize, we, we didn't, of course, we didn't know going into exactly, you know, how it's going to turn out. But once we got the settlement and uh, got on the other side of it, it turned out to be a very positive experience. And um, we're looking to um, keep the momentum going, you know, through our school board elections and keep the, um, along with the support of the community to, to really make this about a, a movement as opposed to like a, a, a you know, one-time event. Yes. Well, thank you so much, David, for joining us tonight um, and sharing your experience. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, yeah. and. Thank you to Jamie Partridge for helping us convert this to a radio ready file. Thank you audience for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Stephen. This is Rachel Haynes. You've been listening to Labor Radio. Tune in next Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. to catch another Labor Radio show. Good evening. Um, you're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Um, tonight we're talking with Lucas Hursty. He's a deputy public defender in California. Lucas, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. So, Lucas, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, an issue that you're passionate about um, regarding phone calls? Absolutely. So... As a deputy public defender, uh, I like to consider myself and and what I and a lot of my colleagues call the trenches of justice, and we really see the nitty gritty aspects of criminal justice and the system in, in which is currently operating. 
And currently in the United States, there's over 2 million people in custody, nearly half of which are serving custodial time pre-trial. And when someone is incarcerated, their lives are completely turned upside down. And they're very taken advantage of. And so there is a movement that is happening across the nation, especially in big metropolitan cities, to allow for free phone calls for incarcerated persons back to their family members. And there have been numerous studies that have already looked into this wave of legislations and the impact that the studies have found it to have have been tremendous and very positive. And so I'm hopeful that when more people become aware of this type of legislation and movement, that we see it spread more widely across the country. Thank you. Um, Let's talk about the situation as it is right now for people who are incarcerated and also get into the data a little bit more. When you say that there are 1 million people who are pre-trial in custody, does that mean that in an average year, there's 1 million adults who are held in custody even before they've been sentenced. Exactly. So when someone is detained pre-trial, that means they have yet to be convicted of any crime at that time. And there are some exceptions that allow for individuals who may be Um, are on some type of supervision who are now charged with the new offense that then are prohibited from being released because they have to deal with the prior supervision case. But a vast majority of persons who are in custody, they're waiting for their case to resolve. They're either waiting to take their case to trial or to potentially enter into some type of plea deal. But their case has not been finalized, and yet they are still housed in custody with individuals who have been sentenced, who have been given a final destination place, and oftentimes they'll even share the same cell. So why is it a problem for people to be held in custody, like, before they've been sentenced what is uh, is there anything problematic about that in my opinion i i think so uh, in the constitution of the united states all persons are presumed innocent until proven guilty and until the state has been able to meet that burden to either convince an individual uh to plead or w- by way of trial i think it, it is an an enormous burden to be incarcerated. You lose your job, you lose your home, you lose personal vehicles or items, families are just destroyed. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because of the difficulty of access to those who are currently in custody. One of the big things right now is the massive abuse of the monopoly that exists on phone companies. There's relatively two phone companies that operate all of the county jail phones across the country. And so they're able to set whatever prices that they want. And in 2022, 
that it's just outrageous with how much of a commodity a cell phone and telephonic services are. I mean, anybody can go out there who's not incarcerated could go get an unlimited unlimited data plan at any mobile phone in uh, business for roughly like thirty to maybe forty dollars on a low end plan. And in certain county jails, they're charging upwards of $10 for a 15-minute phone call. And the negative side effects that being isolated in custody, especially pretrial, have are, are sometimes lifelong impacts. How long are people typically held in custody before either trial or um, <clears throat> before they've taken a plea? Is there an average length of time? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And so each state is going to have a certain what's called a statutory period of time because all persons who are charged with crimes have a right to a speedy trial, especially when they are held in custody pre-trial. The problem over the last two and a half years has been this global pandemic of COVID-19 which has had a huge effect in limitation on courthouses across the country and the amount of backlog, excuse me, the amount of backlog it has created and delayed people from being able to get to exercise their right to a speedy trial is going on two and a half years. And so there are 100% people who were arrested for crimes in, you know, you could even go back and say late 2019 who were then potentially set to have their trial dates in March of 2020 that to this day may not have had that happen yet and therefore have been in custody this whole time before they were ever convicted of a crime. Mm. Yeah, we had some, um, we did an interview with someone um, about a year ago here on Prison Pipeline, um, the mother of a, fa- of, a, of a man who had been held in... Um, in the South uh, on a murder charge. And he had been held for five years without uh, either going to trial or taking a plea. And it was, you know, un- undetermined how long he would still be held before there was a trial. And um, I mean, that's one of the most extreme examples, but what you're saying is that, you know, what now before COVID, was it better or was it, you know, not that different? With COVID, it was definitely, better because mm-hmm. people were able to exercise their statutory rights and mm-hmm. if those were violated there were remedies that as a defense attorney we are able to file you know mm-hmm. one of a tool in our arsenal would and and it is still true today in light of covid it's just that courts and my, my from my understanding across the country especially at the appellate and superior levels at the states are are saying that this global pandemic is in the narrow niche of exceptions that would allow us to overcome that statutory right to trial because usually that is taken very seriously and people are held held to their deadlines and so that has been the case i mean to a certain degree obviously some of the bigger cases that require just time to develop you don't want to rush to trial and based on this the the bail status or the custodial status that a judge would set early on that could then result in you know six months to a year you know especially for someone who's charged with murder albeit it is a 
one of the most, if not the most serious charge that someone could be with or char- someone could be charged with. But those cases take, you know, six months to a year to like fully prepare and litigate for. And the only people that we see who are able to benefit from out of custody status when charged with murder are those who can afford half a million upwards of a million dollars in bail and and science is showing that there's really no correlation between community safety and the bail amount that's posed so it's just punishing the poor now how how um the 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 this campaign that you're working on to um like change this process of you know having access to phone calls um <clears throat> how would that affect people of color who are incarcerated can you can you talk to me a little bit about um how this um you know arbitrary this detention of people in custody for these lengthy times before they're um either allowed to have a trial or take a plea is affecting people of color community specifically oh totally i mean i i think the the fair point in that because truthfully it would affect all persons who are in custody but specifically to your question the vast majority of persons in incarceration are unfortunately and disproportionately people of color and especially those who are being confined pre-trial because it's the, the confinement for the majority of those is just it's not that they're in the rare case where no bail was set because that has to be a very serious and violent offense because we all have you know statutory rights to have bail set especially pre-trial it's just that when bail is set in the amount of five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars, very few people have ten percent of that just in spare change, and and that's what is going to affect pre- predominantly poor people and and people of color. And when again you put them in incarceration, you are immediately isolating them, and and the problem with while being incarceration is people are suffering aspects of inflation now across the country well let me tell you all aspects of prison life for inmates is inflation and you know we made the example of how a 15-minute phone call costs upwards of ten dollars everything in in custody is inflated at the detriment of those who are incarcerated they're paid pennies on the dollars but then charged three to four five times what normal everyday even hygienic items may be you know and so oftentimes they don't have money to even pay for any items or commissary let alone phone calls and so then the burden falls on their family and these prices are so outrageous that if the family wants to stay in steady communication with their loved one they sometimes then have to battle well are we going to be able to enjoy our lives outside of custody just so we can communicate with the loved one in and so it's a double-edged sword affecting the person who is incarcerated and that individual's family who's on the outside who is now further isolated from them so these people who are incarcerated who are being held on bail amounts of five ten twenty five thousand dollars that they can't afford to to cover who's paying for their phone bills well, most likely they're not having any phone bills. There, there's oh. no one who who's able to put money on their books or who are willing to accept the collect calls that 
maybe be available. And so oftentimes, if bail is set and at an amount that they can't afford, that is usually when the period of isolation begins, which is a horrible place to be in for all parties involved. And, And the benefit of just allowing free phone calls that can have, I mean, we're talking about higher rates of rehabilitation for those who are incarcerated, higher or lower rates of recidivism post-release. And quite frankly, it could even save taxpayers in the community tax dollars because it's renegotiating the local municipalities' contracts with the phone companies. So what will it take to get this passed in the district that you're working in and how can we create similar programs in other states? So I'm actually fortunately in one of the bigger metropolitan cities that has recently passed this legislation. And so our uh, local incarcerated individuals are slowly but sharing getting access to this luxury of free phone calls. And the way that it's accomplished is by having local leadership in positions of power and putting forth that legislation because it's on a very local uh, budget level. And so uh, that's what I was saying that it's one of the benefits actually could benefit taxpayers is because it if you vote in the right people who then put forth this legislation, it's able to restructure how the local municipality contracts with the phone company. And right now, they're getting flat out, flat rage. A lot of them are getting flat rates just for the municipality. But then the phone company and the local community county jails have a kickback program where obviously the more people that are incarcerated and then use the phones, not more money. The phone company gets more money, but then so does the county. And we should not be living in a country that profits off its prisoners. So we're talking specific. Are we talking specifically about county jails then? Predominantly, yes, because unfortunately, especially because like we talked about in the beginning of this, a large portion of those who are currently incarcerated because it's pre-trial, it will have to be at the county jail level because an individual couldn't be sent to a state prison facility until after being convicted. So if someone's listening to this program in, you know, um, in whatever city they're in right now, what would they need to do to begin a, a, a campaign like this? What, what, like, can you talk me through some of the steps that you did so that they might have an idea? Absolutely. So I became aware of the possibilities that this legislation was even possible just from being involved in criminal justice reform groups. And once being once made aware of it, I was able to then specifically connect myself to organizations that are starting grassroots movements to make these legislative efforts. I know one, for example, is prisonphonejustice.org. And what they can do is help, you know, donate to bring more awareness to this being a desire of the community. And it's hard for me to say specifically how to take action because unfortunately at the local municipality level, so many places are structured differently. 
me, for example, live in a in a county that's presided over by a board of directors, and um, we specifically were able to pass this legislation because one of the board of uh, excuse me, it's a board of supervisors put forth this legislation, and then collectively there was a majority of them who voted in favor of it, and so. Ideally, we all have some type of local representative who advocates for how our city or county spends its budget. And you would just want to reach out to that representative and let them know that that is an issue that you want to see put forward. And with enough momentum, hopefully those counties would then pass it into legislation. What kind of pushback um, did you experience? What kind of pushback? would people need to expect when trying to organize a campaign to make phone calls free uh, for people who are being held uh, before trial in county jail? You know, the biggest uh, pushback that you'll see is that unfortunately there's a part of society that thinks just because someone is either accused of a crime or convicted of a crime that they become some kind of second-class citizen who is no longer deserving of love and respect and dignity. And you just have to let them know that that's just not true. And all people are deserving of all of those things. And we are all better or better defined than by the worst thing that we ever did. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that would always be incentivizing to them, as I think it should be to any taxpayer, is again the possibility and the likelihood of actually saving money, not only as an individual taxpayer, but as a local municipality, being able to save money potentially in, in that area of the budget and then spend it or reallocate it in a area that maybe have a better need. And so Unfortunately, I think that there are those who are stuck in their ways as it relates to just dehumanizing those who are incarcerated. And it's really just overcoming that and, and keep being a voice for them that all, all persons um, need to be humanized. Can you think of an example of where it's made a difference in the life of one of your clients to be able to have access to free phone calls while they're um, incarcerated? You know, I can't necessarily say it's a direct relationship of a free phone call, but I can 100% say that those clients that I know that have a consistent uh, telephonic or physical visitation and communications with their family, they do much better um, with their situation, uh, stress-wise, anxiety-wise, um, and, and that has tremendous impact on the overall experience dealing with the criminal justice system obviously as it relates to unfortunately where they're being confined but two just kind of going through the process and proceedings of being charged with a crime what about talking with their counsel um is it free right now for people who are incarcerated pre-trial to call their counselors for free or do they have to pay for that too you know, um, I like to have the confidence to say that across the country, that is uh, a free uh, service. I could be wrong. Uh, I would just only be able to guess that based on experience, because prior to that being legislation act, pro prior to that being the current state of legislation where I live, we were able to get free phone calls with our clients. 
Um, mm-hmm. And and I think given the the nature of the criminal justice system and the magnitude of being confined with a crime, um, having access to your attorney is of the utmost importance. And I, I would like to think that that is the case, but it's hard for me to say. I actually I haven't heard of that being an active issue, which kind of furthers my assumption that 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 is the state of the uh, of the situation. So in the um, in the area where you live, um, are people allowed or adults in custody allowed only to call family members for free, or can they call can they call their friends? Can they call, you know, what's, what, what are the, how does, how does it work? So the specific limitations uh, surrounding that, um, I, I haven't familiarized myself specifically with, with the legislative language, but what I'm familiar with is that oftentimes those who, again, are spending times in county jail, where in my jurisdiction, Throughout the day, they are given um, different times to spend in what they call the day room, which is really just an activity area. And in that day room, they have phone calls. And so it's kind of just uh, a a commodity now or or to them if they're in the day room and it's available. But again, unfortunately, that in and of itself has limitations and it's great that they have free phone calls but there's still certain aspects and, and confinements with that right it's a you only get free phone calls between you know two and three that might be problematic if the person you want to talk to unfortunately works a nine to five and mm-hmm. so um, that's great that the phone call itself may be free but it's not great that they're still potentially limited on when they can make those phone calls and are the I mean, are there enough phones available for people to make calls as they need to, or is there like a a line or a wait? I haven't specifically heard any like so it's, negative it's pushbacks that's like that. From mm-hmm. from my understanding, yeah, in in the counties where it's implementing, where it's been implemented, and that's from there's certain there's a couple big cities on the east coast as well as the west coast. I, I truthfully haven't heard any negative feedback since they've been implemented. And some of them at this point, I think the earliest one that I became aware of was, I want to say in like October of 2020, was around the time that I want to say New York became the first major metropolitan city that I became aware of that, that made that, that made county phone calls free. And, you know, I'm pretty active in current events in criminal justice and reform and haven't really seen any pushback against that because I, I honestly think that it's hard to fight with the, the data that's been presented. And, and I mean, truth be told, it's like, f- how are phone calls hurtful? You know, if anything, I, I just think that I, I don't see how there's an argument that they're hurtful and, and the data I think supports how it's super beneficial. Yeah. It sounds like it's a win-win for everybody. I mean, it probably helps the the guards and prison staff to have adults in custody who um, at least have some connection with the outside, and especially with their families. I mean, totally. I could just imagine, like, the, the I want to say, quote-unquote, happier somebody is because there's obviously going to be some aspect of sadness or frustration mm-hmm. or anxiety by being incarcerated. 
But, you know, allowing them to communicate with their loved ones could potentially be the difference between someone who is just angry, upset, and potentially a problematic person in custody versus someone who is now, you know, able to speak with their family members, have a little bit of comfort, feel a little bit better about their situation, who then becomes a well-behaved or an ideally behaved person who's incarcerated. It could have huge impacts all the way around. And like you just said, it would be a win-win-win, truthfully told, because it would be beneficial to the incarcerated individual, to the jail staff, and again, to the community and society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking tonight with Lucas Hursty. Um, Lucas is a uh, public, uh, you're a public defender. Um, and we're talking about the issue of uh, phone justice for people who are incarcerated uh, pre-trial. Um, Lucas, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that you'd like to share that we haven't talked about tonight about this campaign? Um, I think the biggest impact is that in this country, there are, has over the last several decades been a massive focus on profiting off of prisoners um you know one of the things that i do is is i also host a podcast uh, members of the jury where we try to tackle other aspects of criminal justice reform and you know phone calls is just one of the ways that prisons are able to profit off of prisoners yeah we mentioned it a little bit in this episode too about how they do so with commissary Uh, And they also do so with just manual labor, you know, paying them pennies on the dollars. And I would just like to see those who are incarcerated, again, whether it's pre-trial or post-conviction, they still should be treated with a certain level of humanity and dignity and phone calls and basic hygienic and items of commissary are, are just basic human goods that everybody should have access to. And, and not at outrageous inflated prices. And so I hope that we're able to see, continue to see this wave of, of positive legislations impacting those who are incarcerated. Thanks. So Lucas, um, a couple of, a couple of um, the, the, pho- the, pho- the phone justice, well, can you tell me the phone justice website again? And then also um, let me know where people can find your podcast. Oh, absolutely. So the organization is prisonphonejustice.org. And that's just one of many that I, I think I, I had come across on, on Google. I think that they might be geographical, so you might want to find one that is closer to you. But um, obviously those that gain a mass support and big grassroots level will be able to have a nationwide impact. Um, as it relates to the podcast, uh, of course, it's called Members of the Jury. It's available on all major podcast platforms, um, iTunes and Spotify. And we have can be reached on social media at the members of the jury. And if anybody has wants to reach me or talk to me about uh, being a public defender or furthering this conversation, I can be reached at L-H-I-R-S-T-Y at membersofthejurypod.com. Great. Thank you so much. We've been talking tonight with Lucas Hursty. Um, Lucas, thank you so much for joining us on Prison Pipeline. Emma, thank you so much for having me. Baby, you understand me now. 
If sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good 